Welcome to Analog Modern Radio. My name is Nathan Queso. Today on the podcast, I'm chatting with my good mate, Jerome Cole. Jerome's a wedding photographer from Melbourne. I shared a studio with Jerome for a couple of years. We became great mates. He was my partner in crime in my journey down the rabbit hole of analog photography. We've had a lot of great chats over the years on our thoughts and theories on photography. It's great to sit down and get one on the record today. Jerome Cole, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. First thing I want to ask you about is your own experience having your wedding photographed. Oh, yeah. Uh, you're obviously a very experienced wedding photographer yourself, but you had quite a unique experience with your own wedding. Um, so, can you just tell me a bit about who your photographer was and how they captured the day? Our uh, wedding photographer was Paul Griggs, and it was uh, back in 2004, and he shot our whole wedding on film. So I was kind of in that transition period where digital was starting to dominate. So it was starting to become a little bit more unusual to have a film photographer. And my wife actually uh, organized the photography as I was uh, a bit of a, a fine art snob back then and uh, a bit above wedding photography. Um, and yeah, so it came down to Paul Griggs and two others and he had a very documentary style and we just absolutely loved his photography it was just incredible and yeah shot, shot the whole thing on film the other couple of people you were looking at they were also film photographers no they were digital right so he was the only one that shot on film the others had a way more slick presentation whereas he was like i shoot on film this is what i do take or leave it kind of thing that's quite interesting that it was 2004 because i didn't think digital was was around so much then for professionals anyway so how was he shooting on the day i'm kind of interested to just know a little bit about his approach well because i wasn't really into photography but my friend was and he was really into film photography so he was hitting him up all day for tips and advice and he was shooting likers which didn't uh, mean anything to me at the time so he had a bunch of likers and he was stealthy as, like, barely saw him. I hit one of my friends to take video of our wedding, which I now realize was quite an imposition and burden in hindsight now that I know what that actually entails. So later on, I cut our wedding film together and actually got the footage of him working behind the scenes. It was quite amazing, actually. It was just kind of nowhere. Then all of a sudden, he was just there. Bang, shot, he was gone. Real true documentary. And then your album was quite unique and fascinating really especially with the approach we have to albums today yes um you need to tell me a bit about what you kind of yeah what you received from him we got all the uh the proofs for us to choose photos for the album and the black and white but in the end he just gave us these huge contact sheets of all the black and whites which were just amazing which i've actually printed up um onto our wall oh wow from those we got to choose our favorite shots for the album and with the album we had two options one was for a lab to print them which was the edge or we could go for the more expensive option which were to hand print all the photos in-house which is what we went for so there's a lot of dodge and burning old school straight from the negative each page is one photo the color is incredible the grain is amazing both in the black and white and the color, but especially the color. Yeah. How many photos did you get? I think we got max 250 photos. Which was the proofs. Yeah, proofs. Probably less. And you could see each frame number in the little proof prints. So you can see that he hasn't 
skipped any. It's like literally every frame, no blinking. Every photo was amazing. That's a real talent to shoot such few photos on a day to be able to deliver so many that are, you know, usable and worth keeping. His hit rate is inspiring. Yeah. It just would leave a lot of uh, digital shooters to shame. Yeah. And that's kind of something I wanted to talk with you about. We used to chat in the studio about this a bit. The volume of photos that wedding photographers deliver yes. at the moment. I guess what is expected of them, just the approach to shooting. Because since I started shooting film, my hit rate for what I think is a, a good photo, that just that I want to keep, you know, with family yep. photos or things like that, has gone way up and the amount of photos that I shoot has gone way down so I'm shooting significantly less and I reckon two-thirds of the photos I'm like that's great I'll keep that one I don't really shoot too many doubles I'm not sort of into going click 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 I'll find the best best face in that but just try and get one what do you kind of think about the idea of quality over quantity what we're delivering for couples and clients well I've had a similar experience because I shoot my kids on film especially when they were younger and I had the same hit rate, which was a lot higher. And it just meant you could be a lot more present. I like the idea that every time you take a frame, you've spent money. So therefore, it's got to count. So therefore, if something's happening, it's not just anxiety shooting. We're just like taking every little shot, every little movement that your kids do or a bride and groom do, trying to find that shot. You're just observing, observing, waiting for it, waiting for it. When you see it, bang, you have it. And then you can be at ease. Whereas I feel like now with weddings, everyone's way over delivering, really. But everyone's doing it. And I think couples think that that's a good thing. But I wouldn't swap my wedding proofs, that's for sure. Yeah. I don't want any more photos. And I wouldn't change my album, even though there's my whole album's probably 35 photos. But there'd be 35 incredible photos. Incredible photos. That you wouldn't be able to fault. Yeah. If you're delivering such a high number of photos and you're just putting it all in one big online gallery those 35 photos that are mixed in with the thousand other photos they're just going to get lost and and they're not going to have the same impact absolutely and i also love especially because paul griggs was an old school photojournalist there was often more than one thing happening in a frame so they're all actually worth blowing up like there's a classic where we're both walking down the aisle and we both separated and i went to hug my mum. And then Judith went to go and hug someone else and he just stepped back and got us both in the same same frame. You actually spend time on each of his photos because there's discoveries to be made. Yeah. Whereas with digital, sometimes people feel like they have to tell a story with a whole lot of photos. So you end up having to go through a whole lot of photos that could be covered up in one shot that actually captures that decisive moment. That real um, trick of documentary photos of having multiple stories. In the one well, photo. Yeah. Which is what I actually learned from him. And I took into my own wedding photography. Yeah, and like I, I, was, I got that from you. I remember you saying that. I think I had it in one photo. It's probably just an accident that I didn't one photo. You know, you know what I love about this? It's like this is happening here and this is happening here. I was like, oh yeah. And I like the photo, but I don't even know if I realized why I liked it. When you're observing and you're using your camera to link different experiences into the one moment. So it's uniting a moment with your camera. So it could be the bride and groom uh, having a little hug or the, the bride might be hugging someone, the groom might be shaking someone's hand behind and then the mother of the bride might be behind someone else, like behind both of them having a little laugh or something. And you're seeing all three of those things, which means there's a lot more that could go wrong because you have to be right in the right, anticipating in the right moment, reading the light, adjusting. You know, if the mother just smiles now, I've got it. Smiles, moment, you've got it. And I think the beauty of film, and when I was shooting a lot of film, I saw it as um, photography meditation in a way because it just slows you down and gives you an opportunity to observe. 
And that's where you can start to see the broader picture. Like it's not film specific. Anyone can kind of practice that. But it is that thing, like you said, where each photo is going to cost you money. You've got a finite amount of photos on the roll and you're conscious of that while you're shooting. You're not just yes. fill, slowly filling up a memory card. I mean, memory cards are so big, we don't even really think about how many photos we can fit on them. I think it's a good practice for anyone, regardless of the camera type of camera you're shooting on. That's so true. It's just so much harder with digital because I feel like shooting film makes it a lot easier to slow down as a practice because obviously most people would shoot both these days i feel like after a good stint of film i feel like it it helped me with my digital and i consciously when i'm shooting on digital the less i shoot often the better the quality i can tell when i see the photos later if there's heaps i'm like oh that was you're shooting through anxiety a little bit there just like a bit of worry just trying to get the moment rather than just chilling down taking a breath and, and choosing the moment I think the other flip side of shooting less is the discovery later when you get the roll of film back because it's not his 15 minutes in a whole roll. It's like sometimes days. This is like a week of our life in this one roll of film where you're just hanging out with your family and then just really waiting for those key moments, taking it and then forgetting about it and then coming back later. It actually tells a bit of a story of a greater period of time. Absolutely. And I, I feel like I can detach myself from images that don't work so well when you're doing that. I, I feel like when you shoot something on digital, you know, even if you like deep down, you know, it's, it doesn't work, but you, you kind of wanted it to work. You know, maybe it took, you, it took a long That's time to so set true. up or you had a great idea and you're like this and it's like, oh, I'll fix it in post. I'll edit this a bit. And it's harder to let go because you've, you've seen the image right away and it's just, it's kind of stuck in your brain. But I've always found if I do that with film, Later, I've forgotten I've even taken that photo. So when I see it, I'm like, oh, that was that one. Oh, it didn't work. Oh, well. <laughs> And I, I can chuck it away a lot easier. I also wanted to ask you about your transition out of film photography. Mm-hmm. You were shooting film uh, much earlier than me. I moved into the studio and, you know, we, we were chatting about it a lot. And um, we kind of went down the rabbit hole together, though, of getting a scanner and just finding out how much more there was to analog photography once you had a lot more control over what you were doing. I just kept going down that rabbit hole and I'm still stuck down there and you kind of just yeah you went away from it a bit scanning was the beginning of the end (laughs) it really was it just opened up the biggest can of worms and I could see where it was taking me and I just honestly didn't have the time I'd heard about the dynamic range of film but I'd never really experienced it because someone else was scanning my images so once we bought the pack on scanner together which is probably the high point the whole experience and once I could see what you could do with the exposures was quite incredible I was tempted to go through my whole backlog of negatives and start rescanning which would have been a huge undertaking in itself and then I kind of looked into the future and just thought this is this is gonna take over my life as you could probably relate to yeah and then you know you're not gonna be satisfied with one scanner it's the next scanner and then you end up with a drum scanner yeah and, an empty, bank, right? and an empty <laughs> bank account so they're all assets they're yeah, just yeah. assets for my business exactly yeah i have a lot of money it's just all tied up in assets yes that's all it is yeah it's interesting to hear you say that the approach and the things that you learned from shooting on film has carried over into your digital shooting it's that, it's that cliche thing isn't it where people go, oh film it slows you down and it's tactile. And we say all these kind of things. It's not just about slowing down and not taking as many photos. It's also about how it trains you to really look at the scene. Like I think I concentrate a lot more on those details. Like you said, you know, the, the mother is standing wait, waiting for her to smile yep. rather than taking a few frames and hoping that she's smiling in one of them or hoping I got the best smile in there. And then immediately looking back and checking if I got it. 
it is kind of a recipe for anxiety, isn't it? Absolutely. And unfortunately, great photos take extremely hard work. Like I'm reminded of uh, Trent Park, one of the few Australian, or maybe only Australian magnum photographers. I was watching a documentary about him and he would often just be looking through, scanning his negatives and he would just see something in the corner of one of these negatives, which would interest him that he wasn't even conscious of at the time. And then he would go, that's amazing. And then he would spend three months in that one spot every afternoon waiting for that shot so there's just there's no shortcuts and it's the same on a wedding day same with your kids like i often have a romantic notion of just being more present with my kids and less conscious of taking photos of them so that i'm more present in actually hanging out with them but unfortunately there's just there's no shortcut to get a good photo especially if it's candid you have to really be waiting anticipating reading adjusting waiting patient got the moment and that's why i've probably slowly started to set up a lot more shots as well because it's in your control but the same discipline applies it's just waiting scanning even when you set up the couple just having a last little minute look because i remember even with my um wedding photographer and i remember him really just not rushing setting us up waiting for the moment bang and then each family photo i can was two of each yeah right and i try and do that myself and I'm, especially when i'm taking family photos is just really scanning the faces and just waiting for that moment one thing i love doing now shooting wide and at f8 yes you know shooting really deep i think it's such a great way you know like getting everyone's face in focus it's a bit of a trend i guess and you know obviously like shooting wide open looks beautiful like having soft backgrounds and you know mirrorless cameras will focus it on the eyes on the eyes, you know, in the dark and you just don't even need to worry about it. Deep yeah. focus. That's, that's such a good point. I was, I was actually thinking about that this morning. As I said, I have our contact sheet printed on my hallway, a roll of black and white, which started with Judith getting ready until her arriving at the church. So I often walk past it and just check it out. And I, and I actually, to this day, still find new things. And it just actually hit me this morning. Everything is in focus in most of the shots. I've become obsessed like most modern wedding photographers with shooting wide open because we can but it's like the art of aperture choice is gone it's not about the story it's not what does this scene need it's just everything looks good wide open and it kind of does because you don't have to worry so much about the background and it looks less like an amateur photo because yes. we're used to seeing you know, photos on the phone, everything's in focus. Yep. Now you have this beautiful depth of field. Like, it's like when you buy your first prime lens, you shoot everything at 1.4 for five years. Ex exactly. But all my absolute best hero shots are all wide or have incredible uh, focal depth. Even if I was forced to shoot f2.8 or whatever, still I'm shooting so wide and at a certain distance that everything is in focus anyway. I think what I love about it is there's nowhere to hide. Every part of the composition has to work. And especially if you're shooting people and you're shooting candid, it just that person in the background matters. Not trying to criticize. Everyone's got their own approach and, and what they want to get. But yeah, I see, you know, like the classic shot of the, the bride and groom coming down the aisle. And, you know, a lot of people shoot that wide, which I think looks great because you can, you know, really get a sense of the whole scene. But they're also shooting it at 1.4. There's all these people in the background and you can't see their faces because they're blurred. It's just such a great opportunity to have a candid photo of so many people that are at the wedding. I, like, personally, I love the range of expressions you get in shots like that because it's not everyone. Like, everyone look and smile and look nice or everyone be joyful all at once. You're just going to get so many strange things happening in those photos. And the other key moment is actually walking down the aisle, when the bride's walking down the aisle, which I used to, when I was using more zoom lenses, would start with my 7200, get the bride from a bit of a distance. But as she came closer, I would shoot as wide as 14 mil. 
And for me, it was about the story of that moment when there's the bride and she's often looking at the groom. There's the dad or mum or whoever's walking her down. And then you can see every single person's face, which kind of did get a bit ruined by everyone taking photos. Even so, I just think it, it just speaks volumes. Whereas I, I like the thought that maybe you could, your whole wedding could be captured in five photos. Yeah. And, uh, then, and that'll be enough. It'll just be like, this actually says everything about my wedding day. I think the idea of shooting a wedding with the aim of just producing an album, that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Rather than going, I'm going to give you a huge gallery and I'm going to make an album. The album's going to have 200 photos in it. I don't know. I just find it all a bit overwhelming. And I wonder if it's the, the hunt for excellence in one frame. I just want each frame to be so good and speak so much and just have such a depth of story in it that you just need one. This is so good that it has to be by itself on an album page, at least. Yeah. Just one photo. People used to say, I used to even hear couples say, they're like, oh, we just, if we just get one good photo, that's all we really need. But I don't think anyone ever actually follows through yes. with that. Having said all that, I'm still guilty of every time I post on Instagram, I can't help but post a carousel of images. I feel like I can't post one image by itself. I'm trying to get those wide documentary shots, I still feel like I need to put a series of them together. Maybe it's just my own anxiety anxiety about people looking at one and just going "Eh." a couple of people hugging i don't know and just keep scrolling yeah it's also i think the way of instagram not only the size because we're now looking on the screen but you're flicking through an image just has to pop straight away to slow you down even then it's kind of slow you down for half a second and then you keep on going yeah where there's something about the printed image that's large but we just don't look at shots that are large there's something in an album you're going to stare at for a lot longer than something on your phone whereas on a carousel it kind of makes sense because someone's flicking down and all of a sudden you've got their attention because they're flicking sideways at your carousel and it can tell a bit of a story with those kind of range of images i think too like talking about that idea of the anxiety of shooting and, and trying to shoot that volume and obviously there's a lot of really important moments at weddings that you can't miss if you miss the first kiss you're in a bit of trouble you have to explain that to the couple but yeah sometimes i'll go back through and i'll i've only taken one frame and someone's blinked and I'll be like, oh, it's a shame. It's like, oh, well, I don't know. I just don't know if it's that important. I think we're just putting so much, people put so much pressure on themselves with things like that. Um, like photographers on themselves? Yeah. Mm. I don't know if the couple is, you know, if couples are doing that so much. I mean, their expectations are sort of morphed by what they see on social media and they go on a blog and they see all the pictures of the details. So they want yes. the pictures of the details, but those pictures were only taken for the blog in the first place yes. to show the styling of the wedding. It's all a bit of a catch-22, really. Wedding photography, we've always said, it's a kind of a luxury item, especially a good wedding photographer. You know, you're going to pay at least $5,000 these days. We're spending all that money. So, you know, if you think about the hourly rate, you're sort of paying that photographer, but they'll turn up and you go, okay, you go off and take pictures of my shoes and the invites. It's a lot of money. A lot of that investment going into taking photos that I really don't think are that important. That's true. And even thinking back to my my own wedding album again, with Paul, I think we paid him like $1,000 to turn up on the day and take the photos. And then the rest of the money was in per print in the album. And we probably spent, I guess, the equivalent average of a good photographer these days who would just deliver a shoot and burn. But I feel like we actually got so much more. So even though digital came in and revolutionized film and it's just like you can have all the photos and you've got this unlimited possibility and freedom, in a way, the film model was a better service because you got an amazing product for the same price. I don't think it's helped anything. I talked about this with um, Paul Atkins about digital photography ruining family photos because now we just have a million of them but no good ones and they 
don't live anywhere that anyone's going to see them or and they're not going to be kept. He made this interesting point that professionals, once even once 35 mil became really popular with consumers, that professionals have always been trying to catch up because people could take out their point and shoot 35 mil camera or whatever they had and they could get a whole lot of photos. They could take them down to a lab and get reasonable results. That's true. And so photographers had to move away from shooting 120 where they were taking much better quality images but people just weren't really seeing the difference mm. and they they needed to deliver more volume and move to a lower quality faster product which i feel like digital is the same thing not that digital is less quality than film but it's just more accessible easier to do it quickly that's so fascinating i hadn't thought of that we just don't need as many photos as we take like it's just there's no purpose for the all these photos it reminds me of um Susan Sontag I mean hers was more the idea of photography as a weapon but it's just like we use photography to experience things it's actually often not about taking the photo it's about anxiety about holding on to this moment that's going to disappear yeah so you just like you see the concerts it's like now it's just part of the landscape it's the same as the bride walking down the aisle it's like i have to be taking photos or i'm not experiencing i'm not it's kind of our way of taking it in whereas i think if people get a little bit more, develop some extra, some more skills in photography, I think would actually enhance that because you could actually be more present because you, if you start to look for quality, then you're actually looking at what's happening more mm. rather than just mindlessly just like doing it out of worry. People can get super anxious and, you know, during the port that they're getting enough and, oh, I want, I want a bit more time. We've got to get to a few more spots and even if the couple's not really into it. And I'm sure they appreciate it later and like their photos. What are those photos for? And you're taking away from the experience of their day. And yeah. couples will always, if you ask them, you say, oh, I've got this idea for a shot, they always say yes. Yeah. Because you're, you're, you're the expert and they don't want to miss out. And if you say, oh, and they just don't want to say no. I think they just yeah. feel a bit awkward going, actually, no, we don't want to do that. Totally. Like, they're, they're, they're creating an awkward situation. But that's, it's like you've actually created it by asking them something yes, they might not want to do. Exactly. exactly. And that's part of the, the curating, I guess, is, yeah. is actually you're guiding their experience on the day. And that's something I want to develop better of just having that confidence of you've got it, leaving them, they've loved the experience. You're leaving on a high, you have enough. Yes, you could get another three hours worth of amazing portraits, but why? As yeah. you said, what's, what's the purpose of it? Yeah. As a photographer, you're managing so much on the day. You're internalizing your own experience completely, managing all these different people, which is a whole art in itself, different people's expectations, what people have booked you for, and then also your own creative juices and what excites you and that balance of capturing the story authentically, but also pushing yourself, taking calculated risks, and then having the confidence to go, that's it the experience of the couple is the most important thing which yeah. then translates to the photos anyway yeah and only offering guidance when it's in their benefit mm. rather than out of your anxiety are you, do you, are you still lighting like you're still taking a light to, to weddings and yeah i mean that's a whole other thing because i'm like like what is a real photo it's all a perspective in a way because you're standing in a certain spot and you know, you're always making a decision about what's important taking people's weddings especially i just want to capture people at their best and sometimes, especially during the portraits, I feel like through a bit of guidance and I bring a lot of energy, I can bring out a side of people that is really them, but wouldn't have come out if I didn't kind of interact with them. Remember someone said, you can't take people's photos, they give them to you. And I think that's very true. It's like, which is something you said earlier with that rapport, you know, the, with the art of photography. And it's likewise with, with the lighting. 
like it's, I mean, it's something I'm really excited about and it can just makes a huge difference in terms of bringing the magic back into photography, which is what you get from cinema. Picasso said, painting is a lie that tells the truth. And that's what cinema is. It taps deep down into story that we all resonate with. That's completely fabricated, over the top, glorified, idealized. And it's likewise on a wedding day. I definitely want to get those real documentary moments, but I want to get a portrait that's cinematic quality. Even though you're just a normal human being, why can't you be in your own movie for a few moments? Yeah. That kind of amazing set where the lighting can be its best. The setting could be the best and the composition absolutely pops and it's capturing you at your best. And even though it's set up, ultimately it's still a real moment because he's still waiting for that decisive moment where the couple are alive into each other, just happen to be in the most romantic, amazing, gorgeous setting with the best lighting. We'll look for the best natural lighting, you know, trying to find the best light possible. That's it there. But, but you're not allowed to introduce it yourself. It's funny little rules. Like I remember like a big no-no is when I was learning about photography was don't use on-camera flash. It's kind of like this dirty thing to do. And I remember feeling even embarrassed having a ca- like a flash on top of my camera or at least bounce it. That's like bouncing is respectable, straight on, bad. Whereas now I feel like, especially with the eye tracking, I'm wondering if wedding photographers are just ditching a lot of their flashes in situations where, man, the flash would help. The look of on-camera flash is actually amazing. It's beautiful. It can be done so well, like a little hard light straight on, actually hits the face in the best spot. Having that deep kind of butterfly shadow under the um, nose, putting everything else to a bit more darkness. It can work for the right situation. It is coming back in vogue a bit though, sort of fashion photography influencing what wedding world now. I see people doing direct flash, direct on-camera flash for portraits. It's interesting, there's that whole debate, it's like, oh, posing's a dirty word, oh, I don't ever pose and stuff, but it's, you know, like you were saying, when you're setting things up and it's not a moment, but it's like, why can't you just have photos taken of you on your wedding day? You're hiring a professional photographer, spending a lot of money on your outfit and your hair and makeup, but you don't want a photographer to take a good photo of you unless you don't know it's being taken or, you know, like it's such totally. a such a bizarre, it, it is a bizarre. contradiction, really. It is a like, contradiction. And you have to be, I feel like to only have candid photos, you have to be either a very juicy person or very secure because you have to work twice as hard to get a flattering candid photo. It's actually very difficult. Whereas by doing a bit of guidance can really bring the best out of you and whatever attributes you have, you can make it just absolutely work for you. And the other thing is even with candid is like, I used to be, especially when I first started, I just shot candid mostly because I didn't know how to pose in all honesty. You've been married for a while. And I feel like if I go to a party, I barely see my wife. It's like you separate and you go and hang out with different people and have in your own friends. And then the beauty of that is at the end of the night, you have a separate experience and you can share the stories with each other. And that's a beautiful way of debriefing. And because couples are together with each other for quite a few years before they get married, I often find the same thing happens. So if you go to a bar with your bridal party, often the bride and groom just don't go anywhere near each other. How that translates visually is lack of connection. But they truly do have a connection. It's their wedding day. So now I was just simply to say, often the far side of the table, bride and groom sitting close together and say, don't be afraid to touch each other or something or get close. That's all you need to do. So I've completely changed the scene. I've influenced it. But now they're equally enjoying their friends, equally enjoying each other, but they're sitting next to each other, which is not something they would naturally do. But what it results in is amazing candid photos of them having the time of their life, but actually looking connected 
which is a truer representation of their relationship than if I took the real candid shot, which would be more accurate to the moment, not true to their relationship. It also is going to save you time on a day. If you're a professional, you know what you're doing in you know, these kind of things. You don't need the bridal party for as long. You don't need the couple for as long. Yes. You're not taking them away from their wedding for as long. There's nothing worse than not knowing what to do in a photo. That is what's actually awkward. If a couple asks, says to me, I want candid photos, or we just want natural photos, it's a sign that they're just worried about their photos and they're worried actually ironically about how they look. Even more ironically, they actually need the opposite of a candid photographer, but they don't realize it. They're just like, hate posing. You know, I feel uncomfortable getting my photos taken, which to me means they're normal. That's mm. what I want to hear. You don't want people going, I love having my photo taken. So that's a recipe for disaster. That's camera face written all over it. So if you're a normal person, it's unusual to be, have your photo taken. So you need someone to know how to look after you, but then also the nuance of when to let you go and just when it's working, just let it, let it rain. I just go with, look down a lens, no smiling. Getting someone laughing, I mean, it's an instant winner. Couples yeah. love it, you, and it's you got to do it. Like it's like yeah. it's it's a winner for all. Yeah. But in terms of someone allowing you, revealing themselves to you in a photo, it doesn't come through laughing. There's different levels of laughter, but there's less dimensions to it. Yeah. Because if someone is more pensive and or reflective, then the nuance in their eyes, the range of that is actually unlimited. There's no limit to the depth of what is going on internally and how it's portraying through their face. If you think about all the great celebrity portraits, none of them are laughing. Or smi- a lot of them are or, smiling. Or smiling. There's a lot of expression. What's your approach with color accuracy and color management? The thing I like about color is everything has to work. Because color, each color has its own kind of vibe. And getting that right color balance in the original frame itself is just a whole art form, let alone what you do with it in post-production. And especially color contrast, which I feel like is another really interesting thing that's underutilized by photographers. The basic notion of cool colors recede in an image and warm colors come forward. Film photographers trained with strobe, would often use gels for that very reason, just warming up their key light a little bit so that the background would drop to a bit of, and, and cinema do it big time. So that's really helpful way of guiding the viewer to highlight what's important. And in, in terms of grading, our aesthetic is based on film, which I don't know if it's because of our childhood, but I remember when I started as a wedding photographer, it was all about Rocco and Guionis, and it was all about the, the Lao video tungsten light real hard light and a really dramatic baroque style photo and then jonas peterson came in and the whole hipster wedding photographer movement started which was ultra creative and a great thing for the industry but they're all using film presets remember visco yeah, yeah. It was all film presets that were designed to accurately represent different film stocks, whether it's Fuji 400H or Portra 160. And likewise, I jumped onto the bandwagon, got my Visco presets, and there was just something so magical about the color, which altered what the camera would see. What comes out of my Nikon, the, the color science of Nikon is uh, it's quite close to what I feel my eye sees. But then the film just accentuates different colors. You know, whether it's if you're using Fuji, then the greens go a lot more cool. And the other thing I absolutely loved about those Visco presets is how it's soft, softened skin tones, which is what film did. I'm still using my original Visco film presets, which I've slowly adjusted by taking out the fade of the blacks, 
for example, and having true blacks. And I've toned down a bit of the color so it's a little bit more color accurate to what my eye would naturally seen. But the essence of it is still that film look, which I love. And I don't know if that's because of that's what I grew up with or whether it's a better look. I don't know. I think it's imprinted in our brains a bit. Mm. You know, even just seeing an old photo, you know, with like direct flash and it's a bit underexposed and it just kind of takes you back to your childhood family photo album. And those really warm skin tones of, oh, I'm going to forget the, the famous slide film. The Kodak. Oh, Kodachrome. Kodachrome. I was watching um Tarantino's, what was his latest film? The um Oh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I was watching it last night and man, shot in film, obviously. The skin tones were blowing my mind. I think it was the warmth. Because I think in digital, it's hard to pull off the warmth without looking like too much tan. Yeah. Like they've been in the solarium too much. It just had that richness that was just so beautiful. I think that was always the goal with film. They were just always trying to create accurate skin tones or pleasing skin tones yes and everything else is kind of secondary because you look at um kodachrome so saturated you see red in kodachrome and it's beautiful i love it but the red just like burns your eyes you know if there's a red t-shirt in a picture but you look at the skin and it's just the most lovely thing you'll ever see and it's like how does this how does the skin tone fit so well in this overly saturated world yes absolutely yeah but it's kind of how we see, when I think of the 60s and 70s, it's just that color palette. Yep. You know, it's kind of defined how we think that era looked. Because I guess the, the temptation with digital is that it's it's so ultra sharp. And that's another beautiful thing about film and, and even those um, film presets is it really messed with the highlights a lot, which smoothed out the skin, um, the, the tonal curve, and just knocked out quite a bit of that detail. And likewise, even now we can have images so sharp and it's tempting as photographers to pixel peep and just make sure every shot is just so bang on sharp. But now I feel like I'm more forgiving. I look at the image and the vibe of the image. And even if it's a little bit soft, it stays in. And especially because everyone, a lot of people don't print anyway. So yeah. <laughs> you're going to see it really small. I think there's something romantic about a bit of softness. Yeah. Anyway, I think, can... it, I think it was Poisson that said uh, sharpness is a bourgeois concept. <laughs> I like that. Uh, it's probably because I spend so, all my time looking at film photos is that digital just looks so sharp and clear. Yeah. I'm just like, it, it almost hurts. It's just, yes. it's just the, the clarity and it's amazing. But at the same time, I don't know, it's not everything. Well, I feel like within all our software is about undoing a bit. I love that sharpness. Yeah. Like putting in noise reduction. I use noise reduction for the skin tones basically yeah. and pulling back that sharpness and recovering a bit of the kind of, atmosphere which i guess is what the film stock used to take care of in a lot of ways but i feel like the color in your photos is very accurate it does look realistic i think a lot of the classic visco looks are about trying to get a a coherent looking photo feed in instagram where you've shot in different light different locations but all the colors look the same because you've morphed them all together totally i think the big difference is i'm not a big fan of a color cast and that's been the trend so you can still have a film look without that color cast, which just messes with a few of the key, whether it's the, you know, the greens in Fuji, for example, but it could still be a clean, the rest of the tones are very clean. As I feel like with Visco especially, I think it's that putting in a bit of brownness, that tanness is across everything. I was envy it in a way because I feel like it would be easier to color grade if you have this big cast because it's just you could do it quite quickly because everything looks a bit more warped but maybe that's wrong I don't know whereas I find like because I love accurate color fundamentally crisp clean color your light source really matters 
and getting those tones right takes time and thought. And I've, I feel like that approach is going to hold up over time a lot better. We're not just taking photos for now. Social media kind of makes us think that like we take photos and we're instantly sharing them and then they're instantly forgotten about and it's kind of on to the next one. But photos are kind of forever, really. Yes. Especially at something like a wedding. You know, it's not just about how that looks now. It's how that looks in 50 years. That's so true. I think that the advantage of accurate color and it's going to be the curse of these trendy, huge color casts that just messes with the colors. Like it looks... It's so on trend that it's attractive, but ultimately it just draws too much attention to itself. So it just means that the moment can't shine. You don't just see the people. You just, I anyway, see this color cast. Yeah. So I feel like long-term, I agree. It's a disservice. I do wonder in, if in like 15 years, if we're going to look at those kind of photos in the same way we look at photos from 15 years ago where it's a black and white picture and the carpet is red. Yeah, <laughs> you know the color, the color selection yes. in photos that everyone gags over now. Totally, um, but you know. And when I think about it, just thinking about the decisive moment again, which is the Brisson idea, and now with digital cameras and how much we can actually shoot, I'm wondering if within families there's a lot less candid photography or like family events. It's all just like more selfies, looking at the camera, not telling the story. And therefore, the advantage of having a professional photographer like your wedding is that you get that story of your family, of multiple family members, lines of family coming together on that day and capturing that cross-section and hence why colour is so important. Do you see yourself going back to film at some point? I know you sold the, your beloved Pentax 6-7. Still, um, still hurts. Do you think one day you'll get back to it, even just for family photos? I think I will. I can see myself having a Leica at some point in the future. It's, it's the mechanical nature of film cameras, I think, is a part of the appeal to me. And I love the idea of a camera being able to work without any batteries. Yeah. The craftsmanship and just the way it feels and the weight has been part of the experience of taking photos as a, a pleasure in taking the, the photo Especially like with all our discussion about waiting, shooting less, waiting for the decisive moment. Like I remember when I first started, I just loved taking photos. And I feel like the more experience I gained, the less I actually took photos because I realized how much it took to actually take a good photo. So you, unfortunately, you, you take it a lot less, a lot less as you get more experience. And then with film, you add that extra layer of really being present in the moment, anticipating, waiting with my dream Leica, eventually, I might be taking like four frames a day of the family. It's delayed gratification on steroids. Exactly. So yes, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, well, there'll be four uh, amazing frames each day, <laughs> I'm sure. Jerome, thanks so much for coming on the podcast and making the time. You're always a big supporter of, of me and my work and did a lot of my confidence and, and sort of starting up this whole side of my business. Yeah, I didn't quite make the YouTube channel that you're always pushing me to do, but the podcast was sort of the next Th There's still thing. time, but I just think it's so exciting that you are shooting weddings on film and I would so hire you. I'll definitely get a, a film photographer if I did it again. It just adds richness, romanticism. I, I applaud you. Thanks, Jerome. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah.